Yeah. Good morning, folks. It's good to see you guys again this morning, and uh, we're going to pick up the second half of part two. Last week was supposed to be part two, but we didn't get all the way through it, so um, second half of part two this morning. First uh, Thessalonians chapter two. We'll pick up, we'll start reading just from verse 4 and read through uh, verse 12, and then, uh, then we'll pick up in the middle of that. So let's pray before we start. Father, I thank you again today uh, for your love. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the examples that we see of obedience um, and surrender to your word as it is. And Father, I thank you for... Uh, that you continue to reveal things to us as we study and as we seek after you. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful to those things as we encounter difficult things that you want to change in our lives and and, uh, to make us more effective reaching other people and make us more effective loving and demonstrating Jesus to the people around us. And Father, I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we pick it up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, he's, he's picking up mid-thought here. He says, On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, Our toil and hardships, we worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging and comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So last week, you know, we kind of ended with um, the question, does, a, does a, a elder, should an elder expect to be paid? And of course, we came to the conclusion that it shouldn't be expected. Um, and that last question on the first side of your page, do they have the right to expect esteem? And uh, I, I wanted to add a couple of passages of scripture to that. Uh, respect or, um, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know what's a better word for it. Maybe one of you guys can help me out, some of you grammar people. Honor, yeah. I I don't want to say, you know, to be lifted up because Paul never wanted to be lifted up, but to be honored for obedience for the work, you know, that they were doing and that kind of thing. Right. Right, the crown and the reward is going to be for that. But, um, you know, you can go back even in American history and you, can, and you can probably recall a day that even people who didn't profess to be Christians uh, had respect for not working on Sunday. They had respect for people who did go to church and who did follow Christ. Um, they, were, they would act in, a, in somewhat of a humble way when they were around leaders in churches and and things like that where today it's just the opposite you know they they want to put you under their thumb uh in and put that put that light out so to speak um, but if you look at john 21 and uh, i was just talking with jim about this particular passage in a, this morning john 21 15 through 19 when jesus is actually talking to peter about what to do now, basically. Um, he's reinstating Peter after Peter has, has fled. He has abandoned Christ in probably in what is obviously uh, an hour of need 
and Jesus knew this was going to happen. So what Jesus says to him, if we read verses uh, 15 through 19, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And it's interesting, I'm going to stop right here for a second. Who is the more than these? Or what is the more than these? Okay. Saying more than the disciples. And uh, keep that in the back of your mind as we read on. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Um, Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. I'm going to stop right there again for just a second. Are Jesus and Peter talking about the same kind of love? No. Okay. Jesus is saying, do you agape me or agapeo, I think is the way Jim says. is Agapao, yes. Uh, Do you love me more than anything in the world? Will you obey everything that I say? And, and what is Peter responding with? Of, of course, I phileo you. <laughs> so, in English, how would that sound? If we were speaking that to someone in English, how would that, how would that sound? Do you love me? Will you marry me? And she would respond by, we're just friends. <laughs> That's... That's the picture. Will you be my wife for the rest of my life? Uh, maybe. I'll think about it. <laughs> okay? That's what Jesus and Peter, that's the conversation they're having. But we don't, it's hard to recognize that if we don't study deep into it. Anyway, I just wanted to kind of point that out. Um, Jesus is telling him, take care of my sheep. This is a spiritual caretaking. This is a make sure that they have everything they need to live a holy life. Okay? Verse 17, the third time he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are, were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. And now the, what I asked earlier, um, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And you said the other disciples the, the, the next verses, Peter turns and he says, John, he says, well, what about him? Peter's already, he's already wanting to compare. Even in the midst of the conversation where Jesus is explaining to him, you're going to give your life for me and this is how it's going to happen. And don't worry about what everybody else is doing. And so if we turn to, to uh, 1 Peter 5, we see Peter writing and passing on the same instructions that he received from Jesus. They're the same type of instructions. <laughs> yeah. First Peter 5, we'll just read verses 1 through 11. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lorded over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the, the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves before, uh, therefore under God's mighty right hand that he may lift you up in due time. 
Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And you can put in your margin James 4, 7 there next to that verse. And God of all ages, uh, excuse me, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So Peter, under the oppression of Nero, who has run the, the Messianic Jews out of Jerusalem, persecuted them so severely, Peter is giving the same type of instruction and teaching to his church, his followers, uh, as Jesus gave him. He is instructing them spiritually so that they will stand strong. And so there's a lot of people, I've heard a lot of people say that in John, uh, uh, in that passage we just read in John 21, that Jesus is telling Peter to protect them physically, to give them, you know, a safe place to worship. And here, in this particular passage in 1 Peter, um, Peter is not saying that's what Jesus said. Peter is clearly saying that it's a spiritual preparation to give your life. And that's why Jesus explains to him, you're going to be executed. Um, if it were true that Peter was to protect his church, then the reality is, is Peter failed when Stephen, uh, a late teenager, I think Jim told me he was 19, uh, approximately, he goes in in front of the Sanhedrin and he's very educated. He's very learned in the Old Testament. Um, he's very uh, knowledgeable on the law. He goes into the Sanhedrin and he starts preaching to them and he preaches a, a somewhat lengthy me uh, message and before the day's over, he's executed. Well, where was Peter? Wasn't Peter told to protect him? No, Peter was told, told to make sure that they have everything they need to stand up for righteousness. Um, even at the beginning of, let's see, in... Yeah, so in Second Peter, the first uh, chapter, in verses 3, 4, and 5, or 3 and 4, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us the very great and precious promises so that when through them, excuse me, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by its evil desires. Uh, you know, so he teaches firmly against protecting yourself for the sake of, you know, just getting out of, getting out of, I don't, uh, if there is, there could be over there, uh, so anyway, the last verse I wanted to give you on this particular subject uh, is Hebrews 13. And uh, Larry's going to go make you guys a couple copies of the notes for you. If you guys, you guys have just arrived, thank you. Um, Hebrews 13, verses 7 and 8. And this is just putting esteem on people, on those who are uh, studying and bringing the gospel like Paul, Timothy, Silas, and, and the apostles. He says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you and consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Uh, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if Jesus were living today, if he were alive in Mendota in 2023, would the way, of, the way he lives his life be any different than what it was in the year six? Well, it wouldn't have been six, I guess. Yeah, but I guess it would have been six. So in the year six, when he's roughly year five, when he's in the temple, uh, and mom and dad have left him and went, whoa, James, I thought you were watching him. <laughs> Where's your brother? I don't know. So, so would Jesus' life been any different 
if he were alive today? His personal life, how he lived, how he treated, how he treated the rulers of today, how he treated Joe Biden. Would it be any different than how he treated Caiaphas or uh, Zacchaeus or any of the people in leadership at the time? No. He's the same. So what does that mean for us? When we follow him, what does that mean? If we say we follow Christ. I forget the reference, but Jim says it all the time. If you love me, you will be where I am. Thank you. Uh, John twelve twenty six. Um, so followers of Christ, is that what the appearance of followers of Christ have today? Is that the, is that the stereotype or the, the picture of what Christians today look like? I was going there. <laughs> That's right, right. So thank you for bringing that up. So in verse 17, he says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden for the world, or excuse me, for that would be of no benefit to you. So... Um, it's, it's not to elevate the leaders, but it's to look at the examples that are around you and say, don't just look around at everybody and say, do I fit somewhere in the middle? Am I doing well enough so that I'm not going to be looked at as the worst? Um, but I don't want to really aspire to be the one that I, that I see as really following Christ closely. He's, I'm convinced that in, in passages like this, it's to look around and find the one or two or three that are following Christ as close as possible and try, not try, that's a bad word. You can smack me. You can smack, Jim's going to smack the headset right off of me. Don't say that in, my, in front of me. Um, it's a, it's a, yeah. So um, anyway, yeah, so to find the person or the, or the people who are following Christ the way that you would best see in the Scripture and, and latch on to them and say, and say, yeah, I want you to show me. I want you to teach me. I want to learn from you. Um, take me into the Word and, and challenge me to be more like Christ. If they're not, then that's not the person. <laughs> because Jesus never because Jesus didn't go to the woman at the well and say not now I'm really tired I need a drink you know yeah yeah so I mean what you're saying is is you're describing the evidence this should be so overwhelming uh, that it's clear and it's obvious that they're a follower of Christ they're a follower and a servant of the Lord Right, right, and so that's why I'm kind of cautious. I, I never say that inviting somebody to church is a bad thing. That's never a bad thing. It can always be productive, but it's never the first goal uh, in, in sharing the gospel with somebody. The first goal is letting them see Jesus in you or in me. You better be there. Not only that, what they see in church when you're there and what they see of you outside the church better match. They better be the same, you know. So that doesn't mean that if, you know, if you live casual outside the church, you should be casual inside the church. Again, we're kind of defeating what he's saying here is that you should aspire to be like that. And so if I want to be like somebody in our church, I'm listening and watching what they're doing outside the church too. And they're doing the same things when they go to work, when they go, when they're with their family, when they're here and there and that kind of thing. They're doing the same things. And you know what? You're probably going to see them get persecuted and you're going to have to evaluate is being a follower of Christ, uh, have I counted the cost? Have I taken up my cross to follow Christ? If the answer is no, that I'm not ready for that, then the real question needs to be, do I really belong to him? Yeah. No, I was just going to say, if you choose to 
Yeah. Right. So that that's part of the difficult situation is that God assigns people to meet in churches mm-hmm. for that purpose. Right. So if we look at verses uh, seven and eight in second or first Thessalonians two. And we'll see a little bit of a picture of what you just described, I think. Um, as, as far as leadership is concerned. So verse 7, if, you're, if you know your grammar well, you'll see that there's a paragraph split in the middle of that verse. So he says, Instead, we were like young children among you. What is that in reference to? Um, it's in reference to verses 4, 5, and 6, when he says we speak as those approved by God and trusted with the gospel message. Uh, he, we did not assert our authority, but instead, like children, what does that mean? That means um, like tender. Um, they, they were compassionate. They were mild. Um, and they didn't assert their authority. So then in the next part, the next half of that verse, it says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children... Verse 8, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So it almost, if you just read verses 7 and 8 by themselves without the context, it looks like, well, what are they, a child or a parent? Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and so what is he, he's explaining is we didn't assert our authority. We came to you gently. We came to you requesting to talk to you about the gospel message and and you allowed us to present it to you and then after that um, like a nursing mother when you received it um, the emphasis shifts to the hearer's responses in this in this particular verse here Uh, Paul Silas and Timothy they choose to be a minister I mentioned this last week instead of being ministered to so uh, some of you are mothers in here. Um, I, I'm not going to ask if any of you nursed your children, but I, but I can say that you probably are aware that as a mom, when you're nursing a child, what happens to what you eat in relationship to your child? Okay, it goes right in. So what you eat, so did you have to be careful or do you have to be careful as a nursing mother what you take in? Yeah, because your child is going to eat what you eat. Uh, and the same is true during pregnancy. I don't have to explain that to you guys. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. You know, whatever you take in, that child is going to take in as well. And so this picture that he's using, he cared for Paul and Timothy and Silas. They cared for their kind uh, converts, excuse me, like a nursing mother cares for her little children. Um, the spiritual principle for all who are responsible for the care of new believers. A mother does not feed herself in an unhealthy way because she cannot feed her baby in a healthy way if she does that. So there's a reality. If the mother is not careful what she eats, her baby could get sick. And you see that in your notes. Similarly, the spiritual diet of a parent Christian is vitally important. The gentleness and unselfishness of the apostles as a spiritual parent shines through in this illustration. So in verse 8, rather than being greedy, these missionaries were delighted to share with the Thessalonians. They not only gave the message of eternal life, but also imparted their own lives uh, as well. And that includes their innermost beings. So if you look at Acts 18, verses 1 through 4, I think we might have mentioned these last week as well. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who recently came from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. 
Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. I think I've asked this before, and we'll see this in 2 Thessalonians as well. Um, Just in general, who should be the hardest working people in culture? Christians. They should be. How do you come to that conclusion? (laughs) My favorite question. Okay. Okay, so so we're to be teachers, we're to be examples. How is that different from the world today? Every doesn't every parent teach their children? Don't aren't isn't every parent okay, well but but they have that example at least. So what makes a follower of Christ a a, a harder or should be harder worker than the average person? What'd you say? Because you're giver, not a taker. Okay, so you want to have something to give to somebody else if there's a need. That's that's a goal. That's a mindset that you have. What are you? You were saying something. I heard you. What did you say? What were you telling her, and that you should have been sharing with the whole class? <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> say that again. That believes in Christ, so so that's that's a good question. So, or that's a good statement. Does the devil believe in Christ? Yes. Does the devil and the demons believe in God? Yes. So it's more than believe; it's a belief that leads you to action. Hey, you're not listening to the answer. <laughs> so if I said that out in the garage there is a grill tank that is leaking and the place is going to blow up if we're not careful, the people that believe that get up and leave the building. The people that say, well, it's possible, maybe I should go check it out, and they go running in there with a cigarette in their hand, do they believe or do they not believe? They're curious, and, and they've been told something that is probably true, but they're not convinced that it's going to hurt them because... Right. So, one foot in and one foot out. Yeah. So, God says, be careful because if you're not examining your own life, you're lost. And you're in severe, you're in the most dangerous place if you have one foot in and one foot out. If you have one foot out, it's clear to everybody. It's like, well, I'm, I'm not. I can't stand Christians. I don't want, you know, and, and, and you know where you stand. Somebody who looks like a Christian looks pretty good. They do a lot of the things that Christians do. But don't follow through with obeying God's word. That's the most dangerous place to be because they're going, well, are they really a Christian or not? You know, I'm not real sure. Yeah, they got to be a Christian. They do a lot of good things. And it's hard to really identify. But that's why it's so important for us to follow, to look into the scripture, follow things and, and, because when you see the little things that make you think, well, uh, that's, not, that's a little questionable. The reality is, is it's likely that if you give a little push toward Christ and say, hey, let's walk side by side, w- one of two things are going to happen. You're either going to get some severe persecution. Don't force me. Isn't it supposed to be a personal relationship? Let it be personal. Leave me alone. There might be that resistance or they might say, you know what? I have been kind of lazy. Thank you for telling me. And then they'll draw in. And then you know. So in 2 Thessalonians, I don't remember exactly where the verse is. He describes when, uh, during the tribulation, he describes the people who will go to hell, will go to hell because they refuse to love the truth and be saved and be changed by it. Um, And we'll be looking at that probably in a month or a year from now. Um, (laughs) So in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, we'll look at another passage that relates to this. Verses 14 through 18. 
He says, now I'm ready to visit you for the third time. And I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, um, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and now expend myself uh, as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men that I sent you? I, I urged Titus to go to you, and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not walk in the same footsteps by the same spirit? And so again, I, I go back to the, there's a, you know, the question or, or comment that I made earlier that, that Christians should be some of the hardest workers. And, and why is that? Because every Christian, first of all, should be working to take care of their own needs just like everybody else is. They should be going to the job, you know, right now in our culture, 40 hours a week, 45 hours a week. Some people may even work more than that. Um, but the reality is, is that when the workday is done, we should be investing in God's word and investing in one another, investing in our families twice as much as anybody else in the world. And it should be visible. If the opportunity is there and it, yeah, and it doesn't, we should be able to display Christ and also what Paul describes as serving your master. Um, we should be working for our employer as though we're working for Christ. That doesn't mean that if our employer says you have to work on Sunday and, and we're being asked to violate God's law, um, that you just automatically say, well, yeah, oh, God gave me this job uh, and he told me to obey my employer, so well, sorry, God, I can't be there on Sunday. No, God's law is very clear that the gift that you're given for the, for the benefit of the body believers has to come first. So the reality is, and, and this is a difficult one, this is one that I had to deal with for, you know, for, for myself, is I walk in, I get, sit down at an interview while well, we, we work Sundays, you know, everybody's got to work one Sunday a month. I, I get up and say, okay, Lord, thank you. You showed me this is not the job. This is not the one for me. And I did that one time. I got up and I said, well, thank you. I'm sorry I wasted your time. I started to walk out the door and the guy, wait, 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 wait. We need somebody. We're desperate. Sit down. Let me go talk to somebody. I'll be right back, you know. And so he comes back and he says, what if, the, if it's a case where we don't schedule you, but if there's an emergency, can you come in? Sure, I can be there at 1230. Give me just enough time to change my clothes and eat lunch and, and, I, and I'll come in, you know, and I'll do that in an emergency situation. But don't ask me to do it regularly, you know, because this has to come first. I remember sitting, around, sitting down with Tom Prescott and, I, and uh, I, when he was interviewing me uh, years ago for when I got a job there. And I said, you know, I said, I said, there's two things that there's only two things in my life that are going to take a priority over me being at work and, and doing these kind of things. And I said, if my kids got a, a ball game or something like that, I said, I cannot work late. You know, I just, I just can't work late. I said, I'll work till five o'clock when I'm scheduled to work, expected to work, that kind of thing. And I said, if there's an emergency in the church that I have, I said, I am in a position where I've been, I've told everyone that you can call on me at any time. So if there's an emergency, I may say, can you excuse me for an hour while I run over to the hospital and minister to somebody and come back? And I told him that. And he said, you know what? He said, I know, he says, I got kids that play ball too. <laughs> he says, so I understand. And, and I appreciated that. I mean, I just, and so, um, you know, and, and years later, I mean, I could walk in and have a conversation with him about those things, and, and, uh, and, he's, and he's right alongside that. And so I think God honors when, when we stand up for him in public. You know, the Bible tells us, I, I think it's uh, Mark, I don't remember if it's Mark 10, but anyway, acknowledge me before men, and I will acknowledge you before my Father who is in heaven. And he says, if you don't acknowledge me before men, I won't acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. Um, so I think that has to do with when we stand before him, how we've lived our lives, 
But the principle is the same um, when we stand for Christ, whether it results in severe persecution or it results in acceptance, the, the principle still stands. So, um, Second Th- or First Thessalonians 2, in verse 8, he says, uh, verse 9, excuse me, he says, uh, Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and our hardship. We worked night and day in order uh, not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. So our toil and our hardship, uh, I mentioned this last week, Greeks saw, the Greek people saw manual labor as only fit for slaves. They despised it, but Paul was not ashamed of doing any type of work that would help advance the gospel, nor did he want to be disobedient, or excuse me, yes, thank you, dependent on others or a burden to anyone financially. If someone else provided a meal for them, they would give to it. So they bought it. So in Second Thessalonians 3, 7 through 10, is where he describes anyone in the church who's not willing to exercise their gifts and work and give with the purpose, like Nico said, with the purpose, go to work Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday with the purpose of being able to give to somebody else who has a need. He said that person shouldn't eat. So, um, verses 7 through 10 in 2 Thessalonians 3. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Um, <clears throat> that, that's true. So what has happened in this country, that's brought it to that point. I love it when you make comments like that because it pops these questions in my head. My head is just funny like that. I just get all these funny questions. <laughs> you haven't been listening. Get out. <laughs> no. <laughs> so how did, the, how did the country get to that point? Before the government. Right. There you go. Followers, people who claim to be followers of Christ have backed away. You know what? That snotty little kid doesn't want to do it. I'm not helping him. And, they, and they, they get in the flesh and they start to judge. And they back away and the government says, we'll help you. Vote for me. And I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. And pretty soon you've got a culture like we live in today and that is continuing to spiral down to the point where Christians have gone, man, how do we change it now? And then they give up, and they get discouraged, and they get frustrated, they get tired, and they get worn out. And, yeah, well, I don't have to tell you. You guys know. But that's where we're at. Um, so anyway, uh, I, I just put a little saying in here. It says, genuine love finds expression in giving to people's spiritual needs, which is always primary, as well as their physical needs. So here's the question. How many of us get up on Monday morning and go, Lord, I rejoice in you today. Give me something so that I can give to somebody else. Help me to be efficient with my time and do a good job so that I can give to somebody else. So that I can bless others. How often do we have that attitude? We always have the right answers. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. Well, and sometimes. So, right. So, when you say be transformed by the renewing of your mind, what does that mean on Sunday night when you go to bed? Well, go to bed early, but so what does, that, what does that mean for your mindset when you go to bed at night? So there's a passage, and I, uh, I, can, 
I am terrible at this. I am horrible at remembering references. I can quote you the scripture, but I got to know where to find it. So I'm so glad for Google because it makes me lazy. Um, the passage of scripture that says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Why? Yes, thank you. Right, because it affects your next day. I got to read the whole thing because there's more to it than that. Yeah, starting in verse 25. Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So your neighbor in this context is the body of believers. It's not just your next door neighbor or your friends or your coworkers and things like that. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So what happens? <laughs> I'm going to catch you every time. <laughs> I know. I know, I know. I know. I'm just I'm picking on you. So it's it's natural for a parent to go to a child and go, "See, listen up." But what's unnatural is Lord help me convey this in a way that shows that I'm dealing with this with you before. I go to bed. So I, I did. Right. 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 He observes. Right. He observes everything um, that gives you a second look. He observes everything that gives you a, oh, you know, uh, and just the little things like that. So I say the devil is just like Netflix. He's just like Google. He's just like all of these, uh, these things that watch what you do and watch the choices that you make. And because you watch this, maybe you'd like and gives you a list of more options to continue down that path. Say that again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Well, it's, it's dark. It's dark out. Right. It's dark out, but the eyes are not closing. But the, the, the importance is, is that when you just say, ah, it'll take care of itself, the devil goes, yeah, that's right, it will. Right, right, and there are, yeah, right, yeah, so you're, you're looking at three guys here that have been up very late some nights going, listen here, we got to fix this because tomorrow's communion and I'm going to take it, so I know the Bible says to do this, so we're going to do it, and by the time it's all over, we went, all right, yeah, yeah, we're, we're going, okay, this, we came together just on a simple obedience, but I, God honored that obedience. He humbled everybody, humbled all, everybody involved. He humbled us, and by the time it was all over, okay, man, you know what? Thanks for sticking with this for me. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> we all do, we all do on some level. Um, but anyway... So, we kind of got off subject there, but, but these are all important things. And, and I think Jim said it well one time when he said, anytime that there's a, a struggle between me and somebody else, God's Word always tells me to look at me first. Deal with that first, because if I can't, I can't exercise Galatians. Um, thank you. Six, six one, yeah. 
Galatians 6, 1, where I say, be careful. You know, if you see somebody caught in a sin, approach them, but do it careful, do it gentle, do it humbly, because if you don't, you could be in sin as well. And then it becomes unaffected. It becomes, you know, unproductive. So anyway, 1 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12. Um, we'll just, we'll touch on these just uh, just for a second here. And we're, we're about out of time. So the verses 10 through 12 are a summary of the appeal that's made to the Thessalonian people. The apostles called on their readers and God to bear witness to their behavior in both action and motive. So their inner convictions led to holy, righteous, and blameless conduct. So if we go back to chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, he says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not with simply words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1.12. If somebody wants to turn there, and then we'll go, the rest of us will go to the Galatians 4.18 and 19. Okay, thank you. Yeah, 2 Corinthians 1.12. Nico said he would grab that real quick here, and then we'll look at, uh, the rest of us will turn to Galatians 4, verses 18 and 19. When you find it, Nico, go ahead and read it nice and loud, please. Now this is our boast, our consequence. Conscience. Sincerity, yeah. Okay. So how do you have peace in a in a difficult or or a stressful relationship with another person? You can't? You can. So if you know without a doubt that you've done what God has instructed you to do, and you can even even if you've repented and you've asked the other person's forgiveness and they've chosen not to forgive you. There's still tension in the relationship, but you have peace with God because you've done everything that you know to do. And that's the motive is the motive is always peace with God and to reconcile or to, 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 uh, to fix the relationship with one another. But if it's impossible to do, Always obedience to God is is the final answer. Right, right, and yeah. And so, how many of you have ever used this expression? Well, you made me <laughs> fill in the blank. I'm mad because you made me angry. No, <laughs> you chose to be angry because it didn't go the way you wanted it to. Or you chose to be angry because you didn't hear what you wanted to hear. Um, Tracy and I used to say this to our kids, and they used to hate us for it. Your attitude is your choice. (laughs) That's a hard pill to swallow, but it's true. So the same is true that I have to tell myself, or sometimes my helper in the car is right next to me, to remind me that when somebody cuts me off and I start getting angry, your attitude is your choice. I knew that would come back to bite me one of these days. <laughs> right? <laughs> so anyway, um, I have 1 Timothy 1-2 in there as well. We don't have to go there, but Paul describes Timothy as his true son in the faith. And he's describing him as, as uh, uh, he's, he's following Paul. He's imitating Paul. He's learning. And even 30 years af- after 30 years of walking with him, Paul's continuing. As he's going to, Paul's on his way to his own execution. He's giving him the same things and he's reminding him of the same things um, to 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 help him to remain strong. John refers to his readers the same way in 1 John 2. Um, we'll just look at these passages real quick and I'll let you guys go. First John chapter 2. Right. 
1 John 2, 1, he, Paul refer, John refers to his readers as his dear children, just like Paul, Silas, and Timothy are referring to uh, the Thessalonians as, as their children in the faith. He says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Um, and the, the reference to living lives worthy of the calling in 1 Thessalonians uh, 2.10 um, he gives, or 2.12, excuse me, he gives the same in Ephesians 4, uh, verses 1 through 6. Um, I'll read those to you real quick, and then I'll let you look at the, the other two uh, on your own time. But just a reminder that Jesus is always talking about the kingdom. His focus is always on the kingdom uh, to keep us keep our minds focused on the end uh, rather than on the temporary, on the things that are around us. And, and you see that in all the apostles' teaching as well. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So if you had in your Bible, in your margin, do you have somewhere in there where it says all equals? I put that on my in my margin, all is the body of Christ. So when you see that Jesus Christ, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all, it's a reference to the local church. It's an it's a establishment of the local body. Thank you for your attention this morning. God bless you.